Hey everybody, I'm Tim Whitaker, along with Rob McMichael and Jordan Renault. This is our podcast, Coffee, Theology, and Jesus. Our purpose for this podcast is to discuss this messy, difficult, and amazing thing we call the Christian faith. As Christians, we are encouraged and challenged constantly to see what the Bible teaches us about who Jesus was and how he lived and how we can better represent his message every day. Join us each episode as we explore how this relationship with Jesus affects everything from politics and religion to relationships and theology. Now that you know a little more about us, let's get into this week's episode. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Coffee Theology and Jesus podcast. I am your host, Tim Whitaker. On this episode, I had the chance to sit down with Peter, who is the executive director um, of Bethany Kids. Bethany Kids is a missions organization that actually trains local doctors overseas to perform operations uh, for kids who can't afford it, and they pay for the procedures to get done. Honestly, this was a great conversation. We talked a lot about um, the mission field, talked a lot about overseas missions, talked a lot about how the church in America both helps and also sometimes does not help in overseas missions. So this was a really fun episode. Um, We're going to include in the show notes um, the link to to donate if you want to. They do really amazing work. You're going to hear this in the interview. One of my favorite things is that they have a big focus on equipping locals to take care of their own communities, which I absolutely love. So check out this episode and we will talk next week. Welcome everyone to the Coffee Theology and Jesus podcast. I have on today's show a pretty cool guest. I have Peter, who is the executive director of Bethany Kids International. Bethany Kids is a compassionate Christian mission transforming the lives of African children with surgical conditions and disabilities through pediatric surgery, rehabilitation, public education, spiritual ministry, and training health professionals. Peter, how did I do? Did did, did I sum it up? That sounds great. That's quite a mouthful. So uh, well done. Thank you. (laughs) I just went for it. (laughs) Well, Peter, it's great to have you on the show. Good to be here. Good to be here. Well, why don't you kind of give us, you know, I I like having every guest start by giving us the big picture overview overview of them personally. Give Mm -hmm. us your background, you know, how you grew up. How did you end up being the executive director of Bethany Kids? That's a big title. So give me the story. Yeah, sure. So uh, not to go too far into the bio, but I, I was born in Canada, but I actually grew up in Europe. And then about eight years ago, my wife and I uh, were pastoring in Canada and we moved to the Middle East. So we have spent the last uh, eight years living outside of Canada. I spent much of my childhood living outside of Canada. So I've always had this kind of different lens than some of my peers and kind of more an international focus. So the last eight years, just uh, whether it be work or vacation, we went to about 85 different countries, just really exploring trying to learn from others, right? Uh, just because, you know, where we lived, that was possible because we lived uh, in the Middle East and you're close to a lot of places. Throughout that time, I actually started uh, helping NGOs with their communications, uh, film, photography, that sort of thing. Uh, so we had a little uh, communications company and we were helping others. And throughout that whole process, I came across Bethany Kids and I wasn't an employee. I wasn't uh, familiar with them, but came across them in that relationship. And the thing that struck me the most was one, at the time, um, I'm sure they wouldn't mind me saying this, but the logo was terrible. And the, the way that they told their story, I was like, you have such an incredible mission. Like, I was so struck by the work that was being done, but I, I sensed that it wasn't uh, being easily communicated to, to people in the West. 
so fast forward a couple of years, I saw a job posting that they were inviting uh, applications for their new executive director. And, and I thought, I felt like maybe my skills would be an interesting kind of pair up because most of our work is surgical. I'm not a surgeon, but that work was going brilliantly. Like you didn't need me to tell them how to do it. Um, but where it felt like there was a gap was how we were effectively communicating that story. So I felt like that could be a great mashup, uh, that the people who were hiring felt the same way. And, and so, yeah, here we are. Wow. Okay, great. So, so obviously I read, I, I copy and pasted, you know, the, the mission statement onto my notes to, to share with our listeners, but that gives me uh, some kind of idea, but can you give us some more details? So what is Bethany kids? Like, what do you guys really do? What is the, the meat and potatoes? Right. I would say it kind of happens in four stages. First of all, we train surgeons. So we uh, identify surgeons who come from all across the continent of Africa, and they will come and train with us uh, to, to get a, a specialty um, certificate in pediatric surgery. So they will come to a training hospital in Kenya. Uh, so train them there three to five years, depending on their experience. Um, and then, of course, you, you can, after that, it's a, it's a school program, so you can go wherever you want. But Typically, what happens is the folks that leave have a real kind of heart, um, and I mean this in the most positive way, a very mission-oriented heart to return to their home countries and really, um, really incarnate the gospel, if you can put it that way, as a missionary surgeon, but to their own country. So uh, what we'll offer is, like, if you would like to continue to partner with us as you return to your home country, uh, if you are willing to prioritize uh, children who are living on the margins of your society, under-resourced community, rural hospitals, that sort of thing, uh, then, then we will pay a top-up salary so you're giving a more competitive wage. So whatever your hospital's paying you, uh, because they're kind of intentionally choosing to serve uh, some of the poorest children in their country, we will top up your salary, make it more competitive. So we train them. We continue to offer support to, to these people who are really the heart of our organization. Uh, and then we'll also start to pay for any child who needs surgery coming through that hospital. So um, any child who comes to the surgeon, uh, and sometimes there'll be like a national health insurance plan and they'll cover like 90%, which sounds incredible, but like $300 when you have $5 is a lot of money. Mm. So we will cover uh, whatever expenses can't be covered by the family. Uh, and then the fourth and final thing is to really identify as much holistic care as we can offer. So sometimes kids will need a wheelchair post-operation. Sometimes they'll need physiotherapy, occupational therapy, that kind of thing. Uh, and we want to make sure that they have those long-term resources so they have the very best chance uh, at participating in broader community activity. So um, are there any specific type of surgeries that you guys are focused on or can this doctor do all kinds of surgeries? So they would be uh, uh, general pediatric surgeons. And in most cases, though, uh, our surgeons have returned to a country where they are the only trained or accredited pediatric surgeon in the country. Wow. So the list of what they end up having to do because they are a specialist in pediatrics tends to be a little more broad than, uh, than perhaps what we see here in North America. Mm. Wow. Wow. So, uh, yeah, you'll get um, you, you'll get anything from congenital issues like uh, spina bifida, hydrocephalus, some some of the things that will really have a long term uh, impact on a child uh, well into their adulthood. Uh, but we also have you know if someone breaks their leg, uh, we, we'll fix it. Uh, but it, it's very frequently more complex uh, cases that are com that are coming to see a, a pediatric specialist. 
Okay, so essentially what you guys, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but it sounds like what you're doing is you're actually taking people who are passionate about, about their own country who are, who are locals. You're training yeah. them, saying, hey, we'll make you, you know, a general surgeon, and now go back to your community and serve them. And also, we will support you financially and also support these people who need it the most financially. Is that what you guys are doing? Yeah, exactly. Wow. So how did Bethany Kids like, get started? Is this a newer organization? How long have you guys been around? Yeah, so I would say as Bethany Kids with that name, it's about 20 years old. Uh, Before that, I would say in some ways we were very similar to a lot of other missionary organizations where there was a well-meaning Western person who wanted to kind of go out there and save the world uh, and went to Kenya and was performing pediatric surgeries for kids. Um, and, And somewhere in there, well before my time, there was a shift to identify that We've got to do better than this. We can't just bring a specialist from the West and train them. Uh, and the other model would be to say, well, why don't you send the, you know, the surgeon from a place like Kenya to maybe a training hospital in, in Canada or the U.S.? Uh, but what we really wanted to invest in local infrastructure, uh, local hospital development, uh, local training. So we decided that the best way forward was to train in Africa and train Africans. And, and now at this point, uh, the leaders, the people who lead our training program, the, the head of our pediatric training program is, is a former graduate. So he himself is a Kenyan working in Kenya. So that really has been our push to try to make sure that the, the, the stakeholders, the decision makers, uh, they are people who are working in their home countries. So what are some of the, because you mentioned that, that the other model you, you guys, well, not maybe Bethany Kids, but this organization at some form, the version you guys had was you would send someone from the West over there. What were the, what were the problems you were running into doing that? What, what, what is wrong with that model? Right. So, well, for one example, the guy who started Bethany Kids, huge heart for people, right? He's got to be in his late 70s right now. Uh, and he, he now just kind of continues to work by himself. He will still fly to East Africa and perform surgeries. Wow. Um, and, and that's incredible. Like, I have to say, that is absolutely incredible. Right. Um, however, if you think like long-term sustainability, here's a single guy continuing to work into his 70s, uh, trying to save the lives of millions of kids. Uh, it's just it's not a very effective model, if I can put it that way. Yeah. Uh, because one, you are one person, and so you can only take so many cases per day. So at a very basic level, if you think even just medically, the more surgeons you have, the more cases you can take on. So at a basic level, if the goal is to, is to care for a lot of children, then the more surgeons you have, the better. So at that, that makes sense. Also, I think there's a real issue around sort of we'll call it colonization through mission, and um, and frequently uh, we sometimes knowingly and sometimes perhaps unknowingly, as people like myself have traveled to other countries, we don't just represent Jesus, we don't just represent medical stuff, but I I start to bring in my own cultural expectations and norms, totally. and and I I do have friends who who kind of serve as kind of. Uh, classical missionaries in a sense, and they'll go for years in language classes and culture classes. Um, the, the folks who are our missionaries, they don't need language classes and they don't need culture classes, right? They're right. serving in their home country. Right. And you know that you are probably most effective uh, in the U.S. because you're that's where you live, right? You right. understand the, the, the tone. It's a lot cheaper uh, than flying yourself around the world. And I would say, so we knew all that years ago, you know, that the language stuff, the culture stuff, the colonization stuff, but then you get to a year like 2020 and, 
you, you know, we've got COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And, and one thing about that is that a lot of people, I know as a Canadian, I was, I was actually still, I had just returned from living overseas for eight years. And on the news, I could see our prime minister saying things like, if you're a Canadian serving outside of Canada, this is a global pandemic. You should be returning home now. Like this mm-hmm. is the season to return home. And I thought like other missionary organizations who have depended on sending people overseas, that got shut down this year. So if your missionary organization depended on an American or Canadian getting on an international flight and flying around the world, things just got a whole lot more complicated for you. So I know other friends who lead mission organizations who they haven't been able to send their surgeons anywhere this year. In our case, our surgeons were home. They were right. in their home countries. Uh, they, there was nowhere to flee, nowhere to run because they were home. And so they were actually able to invest in, I think, a very different and more profound way into their home countries, even in t- time of pandemic. And there's no, there's no fleeing. So I felt like you know, it was, we didn't prepare for it. I have to say, we weren't thinking, oh, there could be a pandemic coming up. Right. But I would say that this model became more resilient as a mission model in the midst of a global crisis. So, I mean, has COVID, um, has that affected as far as like the doctors on the ground? How has that affected them? Has, has Kenya and other, other countries in Africa, have they been hit hard by COVID? Yeah, so it, there's a range every country. We work in about six countries right now in 2020, and, um, and each country has been affected differently. One of the greatest challenges, of course, is getting uh, children from their homes to a hospital because public transit, transit has been interrupted in a number of places mm-hmm. due to um, local travel bans. So we have seen our numbers kind of going up and down in terms of kids who can access surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, we've also had uh, supply issues that we've been dealing with. Um, because we work in other people's hospitals, we don't build a bunch of hospitals. We train people, right? Our whole focus, our model is train surgeons and support those surgeons wherever they choose to work. Uh, So I know that a lot of hospitals have felt uh, the the crunch in terms of shortages around uh, medicine, anesthesia, whatever it is that, that they're needing for their patients. So we have been affected by some of that. Mm. Um, one of our surgeons, I can say in particular in Sierra Leone, they've had, uh, two surgeons die in the ward where our surgeon works. Um, and that's the same hospital that was deeply affected in terms of a death toll by Ebola not that long ago. So, so these folks are really, as they continue to show up to work, they really are putting their lives at risk as are all healthcare workers, um, particular Mm. when access to safe personal protective equipment is not always a guarantee. Uh, so they, they are absolutely incredible, have, have faced this real tragedy of the world uh, with, mm. with great courage. Uh, in Kenya, for example, we do have a mobile clinic, which typically is a great idea to drive around the country, but uh, that sounds like a super spreader for 2020. So we had, <laughs> yeah. to, we had to kind of shift our mobile clinic, the nurses and the physiotherapists who are following up with kids so we, we were using technology a lot more um, where we'd have a physiotherapist Zooming uh, a community and uh, phoning kids and talking to uh, caregivers and using cell networks, just whatever we could do to make sure that all the kids who ha- had received surgery from us at any point in the last 20 years are still well and are still being cared for. Wow, that's really good. I want to go back to something you said earlier um, around like uh, the colonization um aspect of of maybe western missions and not that it's 
I would even say intentional. It just kind of happens sometimes. I, I spent three months in Europe when I was younger. I was in uh, Germany, Brussels, and Belgium for a month in each country. And that really changed my perspective, obviously, even that, that short amount of time, realizing that I, as I walk as an American, people are following my politics or following our culture. They want to know what New York City is like. And here I am in Finland uh, on, on the, uh, really the Arctic Circle. I don't know who they're is it a prime minister? Is it a president? I know nothing about Finland, but they know everything about me. And that was kind of the first reality of, oh, okay, like, you know, as an American, people are watching and I just have a certain culture that I bring wherever I go. Um, so it, it, it seems like in my experience in the evangelical church, how I grew up is really, really, really well-intentioned adults and people are like, listen, you need to go overseas and help people like that. That That's the motive. But it turns out to be what, what happens is I think is it's more about we have to go over there and show them how to do it right. You know, like this is the right way to do it because they're a poor country. They have no stuff. You know, they, they don't have enough. They're not um, as as developed as we are. And therefore, we'll help them with more physical stuff. Like, I, I feel like you usually go to build something. But it seems mm. like your model is building the people to take care of their own community. Is that kind of safe to say? Absolutely. Yeah, we don't, we, we, again, we stay away from the infrastructure projects. And I think part of it is what you've described, that sort of colonial problem. Uh, that is something we constantly talk about as an organization. We really hold up as something that we need to be aware of. Uh, I was hearing a lecture recently by uh, one of our graduates, one of our surgeons, and he had worked in a number of missions contexts, different hospitals over time. Um, and he was saying, like, if you think the church is innocent in all this, and he's not talking about 100 years ago. He's talking about right now. This is a guy probably uh, maybe my age, slightly older, so a dude in his 30s or 40s. He's talking about how in his own personal experience, continuing to see uh, missionaries as people who are maybe accidentally racist, right? Like just bringing in these, um, these policies or these expectations that are really not helpful and not Christ-centered. And something he said in his presentation, this is I was listening to, again, just recently, so it's still fresh in my mind. He said, like, at its heart, this racist stuff, uh, this is a breach of the command to love your neighbor. Like, as much as we can politicize it and we can make it much more kind of complex, at its very heart, we're called to love our neighbor. And when we look down on our neighbor, when we look at our neighbor as though they are worth less than we are, at the very heart of it, we are ignoring the command to love our neighbor. Uh, and, and the other thing that he said was just like in North America, we will often make racism very narrow in focus, like it's one group against one group. Uh, and he would, he would quite articulately describe like racism happens differently in different places. Uh, he's as a Kenyan, he's like, so in Kenya, the Bantu people are the majority and you have some Somali people. So there's racism between the Bantu and the Somali where the Bantu have the, the privilege in Kenya and then you cross the border into Somalia, the Bantu are now the minority and there's a different kind of racism there. Like that mm. stuff is happening everywhere. Um, and so when we bring in our cultural baggage and our expectations and, and all of that stuff, it just gets muddy and messy. And, and I picture the kind of old school motto of like, kicking the flag into the rocks and saying like, this land is ours now. Yeah. And I'm like, no, no, this, this is, this land is theirs. And if we are people of the kingdom of Jesus, right. Then we don't need to claim land. We don't need right. to go around the world and do that. Yep. Uh, we can go around and, and you know, if, if you've got resources, identify where you can help, 
but do it in a way that's sustainable, that puts the people who are the beneficiaries also as the stakeholders and the decision makers. Like you got to shift that model because I think you said it well earlier. There's a lot of good hearted people and they, they want to make the world a better place. They want to see uh, in typical evangelical language, they want to see kind of Jesus lifted high. They want to see Jesus's name spread. And that's amazing. But if you want to do that effectively, if you want to do that without kind of the trappings of colonialism, there are other models. So you don't, it's, it's not like either you go and you're accidentally racist or colonizer or something, or you don't do anything. I'm not advocating that people sit around and do nothing. Right. There are, there are ways to engage this world uh, that I think are um, more respectful and, and a better reflection of Jesus, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I, I could imagine if uh, someone from Kenya came to where I live in New Jersey as a missionary and was like, okay, guys, oh, you're doing this all wrong. Like, your church meeting is wrong. You don't need a building. They'd be like, whoa, 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 you're, you're ruining the gospel. You're, you're not really a Christian. I mean, that, that's the kind of stuff you would really hear, right? So it yeah. is interesting. You know, as, you, as I've grown up in the evangelical church and am still committed to it, I've also had to be willing to realize that some things I've been taught have been very specifically one way. Like I have the best way to export my Christian faith to the world and they have to follow it how I know it um, or else yeah. is, it, is, it, is it even really Christianity? Um, it seems like to me, you know, I, I like what you guys do because you're so focused on building the local community. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, Randy uh, Richards. He wrote the books Misreading Scripture Through Western Eyes and Misreading Scripture Through Individualist Eyes. We just had him on the show about a week ago. Um, and something he says that is so powerful is that most cultures have things that go without being said, right? And I feel like that's very true. And what happens in our culture is that we have all these values hyper-individualism, um, something being new, a focus on youth. These are all, all, all cultural values that we think the whole world shares, but yeah. a lot of them don't. Right, <laughs> and that's so right. When, when you bring your yourself overseas, not with not unintentionally, but with unintentionally, not to learn, but to show how to do something right, and someone right. goes, well, no, we do it differently, you're just taught to think, well, that's not right. This is right. Yeah. We have to show you what, what, what right looks like. Absolutely. And I think it, it embedded in all of this is what kind of posture we approach other people with. Um, and uh, a lot of the times, even in North American stuff, we arrive with a very messianic, as if we are Jesus himself. Uh, and I remember coming across a, a book years ago um, called God in the Alley. And Greg Paul was the author. And, uh, what, you know, I'm sure he said a lot of wonderful things throughout the book. But the part that that really struck me. And he was working in the city of Toronto and it, there's a large uh, population affected by homelessness, a lot of people who are affected by alcoholism. And he said, like, if you're going to engage in a community like that without ego, what it looks like is to remind yourself that in that moment, it's not that you're being Jesus to them. Because if we do that, then suddenly we're a king on a throne and right? It's not that you're showing up as Jesus in their life, but rather taking that scripture of by serving the person who is without clothes, without food, you are like, imagine they are Jesus himself before you. How would you treat them differently? You would roll out the red carpet, bring up the best China, like put, mm. put them at the head of the table. So he, the way he articulated it and the way it's stuck in my mind, he's like, so when you're looking at this dude in front of you and he's like soaked in urine, he stinks of alcohol, you don't look at him with pity and looking down and saying, oh, I'm going to save you, man. Rather, you look and say, 
you see Jesus in his eyes and you say, how, if this were Jesus right now, how would I serve him? And so you serve that dude who's experiencing all sorts of tragedy. You serve him as though he were king. That's a whole different model of mission. Yeah, you're really right. I mean, it's, you know, it's interesting. I was just thinking about that verse. I think it's Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats. And Jesus says, what you did to the least of these, you did unto me. So mm. I, I've twisted that to be like, oh, I have to be Jesus to someone. But the verse is saying, you're serving Jesus by serving that person until this moment. And until you said that, I've never, I, don't ask me how. I just either have never been wired or never have been smart enough to realize that, oh, wait, it's about seeing them as Jesus, not seeing myself as Jesus. That's right. Um, that's a big shift, though, because it seems like, and again, you know, I'm not trying to bash all of Western culture because we do a lot of good things, but yeah. either this hyper individualistic mindset and then this idea of, you know, um, oh, well, this person's homeless because they deserve it because they, they mm -hmm. can't get a job. They, they it's not that they can't get a job. They don't want a job right. or, you know, oh, well, they're just an alcoholic and all they have to do is quit. I feel like it's that's such an ignorant view on what addiction looks like mm -hmm. and really on the on the human experience itself. Yeah. And it, and it changes the way you treat them, doesn't it? Because if I go into a conversation, whether it be missions locally or missions internationally, and I look at the person before them and I think, well, if you were just as smart as I am, you wouldn't be in this situation. Like yes. if, if anywhere underlying my philosophy of mission is that if you just know what I know, you wouldn't be so poor. If you were as mm. smart as I am, you wouldn't be so poor. Like if that's how we're approaching it, then our posture is all wrong. Uh, wow. We no longer have the posture of a servant. We no longer have the pro posture, to be honest, of Jesus. Because again, you, you know, we talked about this metaphor of, of you know, treating other people as though they were Jesus. Jesus, even in his own model, shows up, you know, tosses aside the crown and shows up as a baby in a manger uh, mm. and then goes to the cross. There's a real deep humility and posture there uh, that I think is, is sometimes accidentally lacking uh, in the way that we approach others. We, uh, we love hero stories. And, and yeah. the West is not the only place on earth that loves a hero story. But we love hero stories. And a lot of times we want to be the hero of the story. Um, and one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about in, in scripture particularly is that in, uh, in almost every story I can think of, the, the, the Sunday school version turned the, the, that human into a hero. Uh, we're, whether we're talking about Abraham or David or Moses, uh, they're the hero. Well, if you dig even just a tiny bit, you know these people are not heroes. These mm. people are very broken human beings. And you realize that the hero is God. And that really changes the ego of the story. Because if the hero is God, and we, like our brothers and sisters around the world, are just participants in his big story, uh, that changes, again, our posture. Uh, and it's not, I'm going to go be the big Jesus, the big hero, the, the Messiah. No, Jesus is the Messiah. God is God. So I'm going to go, and I'm going to walk alongside his children, my brothers and sisters in Christ around this world, mm. and see how together we can work work out a way that we both help, we both benefit, right? Yeah. I think, I mean, yes, so the West right now, an organization like Bethany Kids, we definitely are providing financial resources to some of our, our, uh, our missionaries, the people who serve across, uh, across Africa right now, people who are living in their home countries. But they also pour so much into this organization. It's not a one-way street. Mm. Uh, yesterday, um, at least on the time of this recording, 
yesterday, earlier this week, I should say, uh, uh, it was Giving Tuesday in North America. And so what we did was we had interviews of all of, uh, or not all, a number of our staff members who are both, they were patients, they used to be our patients, and now they're our staff members. Wow. Um, and, and they were being interviewed for, uh, for Giving Tuesday to try to like cut out the middlemen, cut out people like myself and just say, these are the folks who are really the heart of our organization. And they have something to teach the West. Right. It, yes. it is not just um, yes. us who has something to teach. We have something to learn together. Yes. And if we get that posture right, then it's no longer about colonialism. It's no longer about um, my country, your country. I, the, the last eight years, as an example, I was living in uh, an Islamic state in the Middle East. And uh, in doing so, you know, I'm well aware that if I represent Canada or the U.S. and, and the people who are in our church, I think like at, at any given moment, our countries could decide that that neighbor is now my enemy. And I'm like, no, but they're like, we just went out for dinner last night. They can't be my enemy. Like we just, mm. but, but you imagine a government or a state or my country, your country saying, actually, these people are the bad people. And I'm like, no, they're, they're my friends. We, we have dinner. We just went to Starbucks last night, right? Like right. there are people. And, and I think if I wrap my kind of allegiance or identity in Canadianness, yes. then someone else out there can decide that you and I shouldn't be friends. Yeah. Someone else out there can determine that we're actually at odds with each other. Rather than saying, I'm going to wrap my allegiance or pledge my allegiance to Jesus. And in him, this American Canadian thing, for one, didn't exist 2000 years ago. <laughs> right. And so, you know, to use ancient language, you know, Gentile or Jew, it didn't ex like in right. Christ, none of that matters. Right. And I think all of this, it sounds like a tangent when we're talking about medical missionary work, but it, it's not, it's at the heart of it because at, we, we need to ensure that you could say decolonizing missions or having um, missionary work that is truly reflecting Jesus. And we're trying to do that. We're not always going to get it right, but we're trying to make sure that we're modeling the love of Jesus, not modeling the values of Western society. Yeah, that's really well said. I think the irony is that um, the Bible was written in an Eastern <laughs> ancient context, and we in the West think that the Bible was like beamed down from heaven in English to us. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Bible project, but they do great yes. work on this. You know, their, their podcast is phenomenal and they've really so helped um, all of us, me, Rob and Jordan um, unpack that, that like you said, these stories are not so much about the, uh, the hero and the villain. It's more about how is the Bible reading you? Not how are you reading the Bible? Mm. <laughs> so it turns yeah. out, what if you're actually Goliath, you know, like what, right. if, you know, what if, what if you're that person? Um, so let me ask you this because you said you traveled to over 85 countries. You're obviously well, you're well versed as far as uh, how you've traveled the world. You have a good, I think a decent grasp on that. What have you, how has your travel um, influenced and shaped your faith? How, how, how has that happened? Uh, that's a good question. I think, uh, so I grew up in, um, in Germany, but I went to church in France. So already, um, you, and, and as a Canadian, so you already have a, a couple countries there impacting. Um, I think you start to realize like to, to be Christian is very, it's a global thing. And it, we, we've talked about it before. We've touched on it just on this podcast, but this almost, 
it's not just a stripping away of Canadian because I still love red plaid. I still love a flannel. So like I'm still Canadian, right. but, but I have to realize that none of those things have to do with being a Christian mm. um, and, and really having to separate them to say, yeah, go ahead. Like uh, have your barbecue and, you know, fire off some fireworks if that's your style, maybe, I don't know. But <laughs> at some point recognize that like, that is not the definitive Christian. You, you know, so when we think of going to church as uh, Sunday morning uh, with a Bible under the arm and, um, you know, singing some songs, it's not how it works everywhere. Again, I think if I carried a, a big, big, huge Bible under my arm on the way to church for the last eight years of my life, uh, that, that could have caused some additional challenges with, uh, with authorities. We put right. it that way. Right. Um, and I and, and we didn't meet on a Sunday because there's a number of uh countries in the world that Sunday is not a holiday. Sunday is not a weekend. Friday, Saturday is the weekend. So the last eight years of my life, Sunday was on, uh, sorry, church was on Friday morning. Yeah. Because that was, that's the holy day. And you, you, you remind yourself, these things don't matter. Like there there are so many things that just don't matter. Uh, Hmm. pandemic, uh, the church uh, we're part of here, uh, because of the pandemic, because, you know, you're, you're spreading virus through droplets. We're not singing at all. Like, there's no singing. And I think and for you're all okay of with my, that. But yeah, right. Because, like, for all of my life, we sang in church. I like to sing. I like, like, it's good times. But you know what? There's, being the church is far more than singing in a choir on a Sunday. Like, being the church is about modeling and mirroring the love of Jesus to our neighbors. And right now in this season, that looks different. So I, I guess the more I travel, the more I, I go around the world, you, you just realize that the, in, the complexity, the diversity of it all, and, and how different people are, are truthfully and, and genuinely reading Scripture. And, and it sounds a little bit different than I understood it. You think, oh, I never heard it that way. I never thought about it that way because I had my lens. Like I have, you know, my, my Canadian glasses. And I think like part of this journey uh, as being Christians is kind of removing these lenses as best we can. Yeah. And one of the best ways we can do that is to start to get to know people who are wearing different kinds of glasses, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to go down too far this rabbit hole, but we podcasted a lot on this COVID thing and this, this especially, I'm not sure if you followed it, but in America, you know, right. there are a lot of churches and I, you know, they're, they're public. So you have John MacArthur's church, you have Sean mm-hmm. Foyt, who we've talked about in the past with his, you know, hashtag let us worship gatherings. Right. And, and something that we've brought up on the show is that the church, one of the reasons why the church throughout the millennia is so successful is because it's so adaptable. It's mm-hmm. able to take all these different shapes because it's not about if you're in a building or if you have a certain set or if it's music and then mm-hmm. worse or, and then a sermon or sermon, then music, or if there's no sermon and you just have communion, you can yes. really interchange these things because the mm-hmm. idea is that the people of, of God are together participating in some way, shape or form in some yeah. number. But it seems like in, in the West, specifically in America, people cannot fathom the idea of having to change how they've always done it, which is honestly yeah. a very new thing. I mean, this is not, <laughs> yes. this is not like it's some ancient tradition that's being, you know, um, stopped for the first time in human history. We just, yeah. pe- pe- people like their shows. They like their comfort. They mm-hmm. like being able to say, Oh, I think that a lot of Christians have like a tyranny complex. They're just looking for something to say, this right. is tyranny. But like you said, Globally, some church gatherings meet on a Friday. Some yeah. meet in houses. Some do right. meet in big buildings. So yeah. I, I don't understand how when you, like you said, we have this global pandemic that is dangerous. 
why the church in America, and I'm not sure how it is in Canada, but at least in America, isn't saying, no problem, guys. We will voluntarily mm-hmm. forfeit our huge gatherings. We will meet yeah. in smaller groups. It seems like in my circles, instead, we just went down the, we need better live stream equipment. And it's like, yeah, oh, you're guys, missing it. you're missing it. Missing it. Yeah. I, I think it's wild to me the phrase, let us worship, because no one is stopping you from worshiping. Yes. But you have a problem if you think that worship is a concert on a Sunday morning. Um, and, yep. Right? Like, yep. I mean, if, if you, uh, you know, language aside, if you talk to an ancient Jewish person and said, you know, talk to me about worship, they would say, well, that's quite a bloody affair. Uh, you've got dead animals everywhere. You've got blood on all of the coats. You've got the high priest who just slid open the goat's neck, the sheep's neck. We've got some people can't afford it, so they've, they've chopped off the bird's heads. We've got some grain over it. Like, <laughs> let me worship. What do you mean let, let us worship? No one is stopping you from worshiping. Because if, if you read Paul, and Paul talks about our lives being like a living sacrifice, our, that is our spiritual act of worship then remind yourself for a moment, there are people who are hurting this year who in, in any country that either they are directly affected by the pandemic because um, they're sick, their family members are sick or dying. Uh, they've lost businesses. There are so many people hurting. Our spiritual act of worship surely can include loving our neighbor. De- like what a season like th- this. Yeah, let me be very clear. The pandemic is not a gift at all. It's not a gift. But what a gift to use this opportunity to demonstrate that above all buildings, above all songs, we are a people of love, right? And I, I, I'm sure you've been the same, but for years I'm thinking like, you know, we're called in scripture to be known for our love. And then now, like this pandemic shows up, people are hurting. People need love perhaps more than in a long time. They're, they're hurting. And we're like, hmm, this seems like a time to politicize. This seems like a time yes. to divide, right. to have a fight and to have a protest sign. I'm like, no, right it away. Like at our little church, uh, our, one, of our, one of the people in our church, their, their house just burned down in the middle of a pandemic. They, they've now lost their house. So our worship on this last Sunday, we were not singing. We brought in groceries and we filled boxes filled with groceries so that this family could have a little bit of food in the midst of a really bad time for them. Mm. Right. Wow. Worship. No one's stopping you. Man. Wait, but there was no music. There was no haze, <laughs> no smoke, like no lights. Right? I, and that, like, yeah, go ahead. It's wild. It's the wild. other thing is like, it's a concert. Uh, like I love, I love music I, and I love concerts, but like, let's name it what it is. Yes. Uh, no one yes. is stopping. Like, yes, people are stopping you from having concerts and, and the guys and, and the, the men and women who, who make money selling Christian records, they're hurting. Yes. Cause, yes. because you're a concert producing. Th- I get it. Yep. But, but do not say, they're stopping us from worshiping. Right. Come on. No, well, the, the irony Come is on. the irony is that they're worshiping. Like they they're, they're doing it publicly and they're not being shut down. They're, they're massing tens of thousands of people publicly saying, let us worship while they worship, while they worship <laughs> air, air quotes. Yeah. Like you're, Hey Sean, you're doing it. Like, yeah. what, what's the problem, buddy? Like here right. you are. Um, you know, and listen, I'm a musician. I'm, as I talked to you, I'm wearing my in-ear monitors. I, I drum, like I'm, I'm in that church world. Yeah. I, I love, I, I love it. I'm a, I'm a musician through and through. But like you said, how we got to this point of worship equals music or, mm-hmm. or, um, or not being able to meet means, oh, I can't do it my way, therefore persecution. 
that yes. that for me is like whoa guys like what are, what's the most important two commandments what is it it's love god with everything and love your neighbor that's it yeah. it's not your worship gathering it's not meeting it's not even mm-hmm. meeting corporately it's yeah. those two things how yeah. can we claim to be a people of love or say we're loving the world and then make it all about us that that's my biggest concern is that when it comes to this particular segment of christianity it's very them focused right well mm. my rights my god-given yeah. constitutional rights it's all kind of yeah. wrapped into this like political ethos mm-hmm. but um anyway i don't want to go down we, that path no, and, all day. But <laughs> it's, it's fair to, to and this comes back to mission but we we hold up things like a constitution which is a human document from a country that didn't exist just a few hundred years ago we hold that up as uh, a god-given biblical third testament or something yes and and, and what it's meant is that here we are in a global pandemic. You have organizations like ourselves, but I'm sure there are others who are trying to worship by loving our neighbor. Uh, and instead, instead of the church rallying around all of these causes and saying, you know, we don't have to rent the building this weekend. So we actually we can take that money and donate it to this organization or this homeless shelter or this addictions, whatever it is. We've said, no, we're going to raise money to have protests and campaigns and more concerts. And you're like, we're, we missed it, right? Like, we're, we're missing it because there are people around the world, and it boggles my mind when I hear any North American talk about persecution. There are people around the world who, uh, who it's illegal to convert. There are, there are at least a dozen countries where conversion is a capital offense. Right, you convert from a certain religion. Uh, you you not just go to jail. It's it's potential for the death penalty. Like so, don't talk to me about how a, a virus, a vi- like a non man made virus, is persecution. Yeah. The, the the children we serve, like uh, a lot of them, they they need. Uh, surgical intervention and without surgical intervention either they're going to die or they're going to never walk again or we're talking amputation like the, there are real challenges facing our world and, and i i just hope that, that as a church and i don't just mean for my organization but as a church yeah. we would be known for our love yeah and that means we actually have to do something right yeah. like help each other yeah. out and and yeah that could be a donation to us or a donation to someone I just read that uh, last week, here we are, you know, economics are bad, blah, blah, blah. $9 billion uh, Black Friday uh, is how much was spent in one day. $9 billion. Uh, Highest ever, uh, again. And every year it's the highest ever. I think, like, we are known for our consumerism, our our capitalism. Let us be known as Jesus followers for our love. Because that is when people will see Jesus. When they see how we treat other people. Absolutely. That's really well said. I really believe that more and more people are waking up to this, which gives me a lot of hope. There's still, there's still a ton of work to do, but there are people out there. And I talk to them every day um, who are rethinking, you know, we use the term now deconstructing, but I really, it's really rethinking yeah. what is this faith I grew up with? And then because you're kind of at that point, you have to find better answers and that exposes yeah. you to other teachers. And that gives you this view of like, whoa, this faith is way bigger. I even just personally launched a new Instagram page called the new evangelicals. Cause I'm convinced mm. we need a new evangelical movement yes. in, in, in America. Like what has happened to it is it's, it's terrible. Like you said, we're consumeristic. It's been co-opted, you know, like we're consumeristic. We're, we're, we're mm-hmm. we, we think the constitution and the Bible are one and the same. We're yeah. hyper politically allegiant to only one party. We can't mm-hmm. talk about other issues. 
So this, I think people are waking up to it, which is yeah. good. And people like you who are in these positions of, of authority and are able to run organizations and help and help steer the ship. It's mm. so essential because we do need a change because frankly, yeah. at least in, in, in where I'm around, I know more friends who have left out of frustration over these issues. It's not that yes. they don't believe anymore. It's that they go, guys, I can't get on board that you're telling me to follow this Jesus. And I read the Sermon on the Mount. Then you're mm. telling me how I need to buy more stuff and that the liberals are evil and we have to go yeah. bomb countries. Like it doesn't work for me, right? No. So here's it, my it should grieve us, right? It's that that should grieve us. Totally. We Deeply. should be lamenting. Lamenting. Yeah. Hundred yeah. percent. And the, I I just want to say to our listeners. Being critical of an institution is not the same as bashing it. I mean, yeah. I there there seems to be this like this brick wall of if you speak negatively about the church, you're just a terrible church person. It's like um, it's like well, actually, if you read like the Old Testament and the prophets, <laughs> they were they were called to critique the nation to bring them back to their true calling, and that's the same idea here. You know, people, you need the prophet type in the church and. By prophet, I don't mean fortune teller type. I mean people right. who are saying, we have a problem, guys. We have to address. We have to recorrect. Um, you need those people in the church because I think we've kind of lost our way. But I mm. think, and I hope I'm not, I mean, I'm really trying to be optimistic here. I think that there are enough people who are seeing it, who are starting slowly to churn that 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 rudder a little bit to hopefully Absolutely. shift this in a better direction. Yeah. So. Um, my last question I wanted to ask you um, is how can we help? I mean, that, that's, that's the big one. I'll be honest. Talking to you is like, it gets me fired up. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Keep it going. I feel like um, as a white American man in America, I probably am not better. I'm probably not best used by flying myself overseas to a country I know nothing about. You know, so is it financial stuff you guys need help with? Is it just getting the word out? How can people who are listening help you guys out? Absolutely. Uh, I would say a couple things. We have always depended on uh, financial donations to, to keep this thing running. We, we are a pretty lean operation. And so when someone gives us like a hundred bucks, it's huge for us. Uh, you know, we, we really, we just, you know, small organizations, when someone donates, it's huge. Uh, we have uh, a few churches that help us out in big ways. Uh, and so we're looking for individual donors and churches to say, listen, this is a cause I want to support. Uh, I often think about the old, you know, we talk about this new evangelicalism. I think about the old churches where you'd have like a, a couple on the bulletin board in the lobby and it's like, yeah, we're praying for the Smiths. Yes. Like yes. I want to get, right. I want to get to a place where, where we don't lose that. We've just changed the photo. Yep. Do you know what I mean? And maybe it's uh, maybe now it's it's a person from Kenya or from Sierra Leone, and and there's this deep relational connection. You know, maybe it's writing letters, maybe it's like you know having them come and speak at a church instead of flying over a billing team. You feel free to fly one of them uh, to your church and have them speak at your church. Like mm. there, there's a shift of saying what they're what folks are doing around the world is super important we can learn from them so i what i really desire is like really active participants in this mission people yes. who are able to help us financially yes people are able to champion this cause to amplify some of the voices of, of the people that that work with our organization our our leaders who, who work in their home countries uh so that is the, the we'll say the pitch yes please help us with the money but but become an active participant in this cause and this mission. Wow. Great. Well, we'll make sure we definitely put everything in, in our show notes. Um, you know, Peter, the work that you guys do is like, it's invaluable. It is, it's kingdom work through and through. Um, 
know, even thinking about like what you guys are doing gets me like even a little teary eyed, you know, because it's just it's beautiful work. And I think it resonates with a lot of people that that this is what life is about. I think more and more people in America, in the North Americans or North Americas are realizing that like having stuff and working tool until you die for a corporate a corporation. That's just not what life's about. And like you no. said, while I don't want to call the pandemic a gift because it's, it's brought so much death and destruction, a mm. silver lining for me and for people I know, it's really shifted us from what's important in life. Yes. From, yeah. okay, like work, get a job and have a, you know, be comfortable to actually like my, my time with my family or yeah. my time with people that I don't know who have different mm. cultural backgrounds than me. This is like where, where, where it matters. Yeah. So absolutely. It's yeah. a shift from saying everything's going to center around my country to everything needs to center around Jesus. And, and I hope, and in this way, it's probably, I would use the same language as some, some of the people we talked about earlier who are out there having these big rallies. I hope that this process produces what we could call a revival and a rethinking and a, and a recentering, not on ourselves and our ego and our stuff, but on Jesus. And because we believe in the church and we want to see yep. it healthy and a healthy church is a church that's centered on Christ and that includes all people. Yep. We, we love the church too much to leave her. That's what I say. Yeah. That's <laughs> well, right. Peter, it was great having you on, man. Thanks for the time. And uh, we obviously wish you the best. We'll be praying for you guys. And you. to any of our listeners out there, if this is really tugging on you, please don't hesitate. Click on the mm -hmm. link. Um, finance, finances are huge. So donating would yes. be great. And um, if someone did want to get in touch for like more involvement, can they email you somewhere or? Absolutely. So our website, which is bethanykids.org, if you fill out that contact form, it comes straight to myself. Uh, if you reach out to us on Instagram, so bethanykids.ig, uh, you can connect with us there and send us a direct message. We'll definitely get back to you. Uh, so we, we want to be as transparent and as accessible as we can. So those are definitely two places you can reach out to us. With that. Awesome. Great. Thanks so much, Peter. Cool. My pleasure. Thanks for checking out the Coffee Theology in Jesus podcast. You can always drop us a line on Facebook or through our email, podcast at coffeetheologyandjesus.com as we love to hear from our listeners. Until next time, drink coffee, discuss theology, and love Jesus.